glad to be here with you guys today. Uh, my name's Brad. If we haven't met, I'm one of the elders here. And we want to say welcome to Mercy Hill Church. So glad that you're here. Thomas, I enjoyed your singing this morning. Thank you as you leave. Thanks for leading us in singing. If we can just all be like Thomas one day. So that was great. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to all of you who are here and all of you who are on the live stream. And just thank you for your dedicated attendance. We see uh, those numbers and we see you logging in on the live stream for those of you who are unable to be here in person. And I think that more than ever, what Sunday gathering, we are all seeing how desperately important it is in our lives. And so I just want to encourage you to continue to keep this time and keep this commitment as um, something that's really holy. Um, that we would seek the Lord. Today we're going to have some fun. We are in a new series entitled Awakening. And we started this last week. And this is a series like really we've never done. We almost always teach you books of the Bible. We rarely do something topical. And this series is entitled Awakening the Hope for Renewal. And the idea is that we would pray for revival. But revival begins in us when God renews us. We look at this last year and we see economic crisis and we see unrest in almost every area of life. We see the worst plague in the last century. And for most of us, instead of getting our attention, last week we talked about the fact that for many of us we're so busy looking out the window at others that we can't stop long enough, that we do not have the humility to look in the mirror. To look at really the only thing that we have control over. Very limited control. But control over ourselves. And so, uh, if revival will come, then let it begin in us. And last week I challenged you guys to start fasting and praying. To fast on Tuesdays for breakfast and lunch. To do like a 12 hour fast during the day. And to pray twice a day. Using the pause app. And so today, I just want to start out this morning um, trying to experience, you guys can go ahead and start our morning pause for one minute, that we would just practice what we preach and take a minute and pause, literally. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. I give myself to you, Jesus, for union with you. I am created for union with you, God. I give everything in me for union with you, Lord. with John Eldridge saying, uh, and that's enough. And uh, let's talk about last week for just a minute. Uh, I've heard from several of you, and you talked about the pause. And if you don't have it, it's in the App Store. It's just called the Pause app. And for several of you, you said... For 
several of you, you said that that pause came at just the right time. That it was a moment where you just needed to be reminded of God's presence and His power. And the pause didn't just last for a minute. But it was like God got your attention and it was kind of ongoing for that next section of your day. Some of you may want to move. There's some three-minute pauses that are also included in the app. You may want to check one of those out. Uh, I heard from some of you in regards to fasting. And some of you said, man, I, I got a text from one friend. And he said, it's, he said, I've fasted in the past. And it's always this way. It seems like the clock stops and time stands still when I fast. And he said, maybe that's God's way of getting my attention and slowing me down. So that I can hear his voice. We all live in such uh, hectic and frenetic lives. When it comes to fasting, everyone can't fast from food. And so uh, I had one friend who said, you know, uh, I really, that doesn't work for me at work. And so what I'm doing instead is I'm fasting from my cell phone on Tuesdays. And he has a plan to download a different ringtone for his wife so that... He can answer the phone when she calls and every other time his phone dings or sends out a notification and he hears it, it's just a reminder to seek the Lord in prayer. I said, man, that's really creative. That might be harder uh, for some of us than fasting from food, honestly, fasting from technology. So ask God how he wants you to fast. It might be from social media, it might be from something else, but ask him, He'll, he'll show you. I want to clarify one thing that I said last week. No one, no one called me out on this. You guys should have. But I said, if you want more of God. And theologically, that, that's not correct. Like, theologically, there's no such thing. It's impossible to have more of God. Because we're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. That's why in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? However, we don't always experience God's leadership and direction. In fact, sometimes we instead choose to walk in the flesh, and instead of being led by the Spirit, and that's why Paul would go on to say things in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, like, do not quench the Spirit. Or in Galatians 5, 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so I want to clarify, not if you want more of God, but if you want to experience more of God, then I want to encourage you. If you are excited to experience more of God's presence in your life and more of God's power in your life, and we're going to talk about what that means as we go on throughout these weeks, more of God's presence and more of His power, then I want to encourage you to join us in this series. It's a series where we're going to experience some things together, like fasting and prayer. It's going to be experimental for some of you, because for some of you, you've never fasted before, or you've never intentionally prayed like this. God may call you to do something else in your life that you've never done before. And I think it's, it's really crucial that if we want to seek the Lord, that we listen to the Spirit as He speaks to us 
and as he speaks through one another. I intentionally haven't planned the series out. I have some themes in mind. I have some passages of scripture. But I don't know what I'm teaching on each week because I'm praying that the Spirit would show us what He wants to teach us that we are lacking in order to awaken us here in Midtown, in Memphis, what we need to hear from Him. And so I'm, I'm listening to you guys. I'm having conversations with you. And I want to encourage you, discuss questions that you have and thoughts that you have with your missional community. Most of our missional communities are still meeting over Zoom. Uh, we have some that are meeting in person. And, and, um, but discuss with your coffee groups, with your missional communities. Uh, if you don't have one of those, we have a prayer time that meets right here at 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings. Um, there's about half a dozen of us who are here. The back door's always open, 6 a.m. on Thursday morning for about an hour. You can come and join us. We want to hear the Spirit. So in this series, um, as we hear from the Holy Spirit, last week we said the big idea was this. Personal renewal leads to corporate change. Personal renewal leads to corporate change. And so, as we talked about that, I mean, that rings true for all of us, right? The the inauguration was this last week, and um, there's rarely an inauguration that goes by that, that JFK's famous words don't come up. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Why, are the, why do those words resonate with us so much? Because that's just good leadership. Good leadership always begins with personal leadership. And so personal change is what leads to corporate change. And if we seek corporate change without personal change, it'll be short-lived. There'll be no foundation for it to last. And so today, I just want to ask the question, if personal renewal leads to corporate change, then what brings about personal renewal? What brings about personal renewal in each of our lives? And I want to warn you, these sermons are very simple. I didn't pull out a single commentary this week. I didn't pull out another book. I just read from a passage of Scripture. And I am counting on the Spirit to speak to us and to speak through us. And so today we're going to end a little differently. We're going to end with a song that the band's going to sing over us as we meditate. And we're going to make space for the Spirit to move. And we're going to have a time of testimony where you can share what you hear the Spirit saying. I believe that God wants to encourage you just as much or more through the lives of his people than through what he's going to say right now. Okay? And so that's a little get ready. The big idea today, personal renewal is birthed out of a deep experience of God's love. Personal renewal is based out of a deep experience of God's love. I would even go as far as to say it's birthed out of a deep experience of God's love when God pulls back the curtain on our sin and our unhealthy emotions and all the ways that we haven't trusted Him in the past. And He enables us to experience acceptance and to be fueled by grace. Many of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've had a time like that in your life. I think that so many of us who are followers of Jesus in the South have been brought up in a culture that preaches that we're saved by, we're saved by grace, but then we live as if we're kept by works. Like, we know that's not true, 
But even for those of us who have great theology in our heads, most of us, if you, if you really examine your life, most of us live as if we are kept by works. We fail to believe that Christians need the gospel just as much as non-Christians. And that's probably one of the most crucial lines I'm going to say today, so I'm going to say it again. We fail to believe that Christians need the gospel just as much as non-Christians. And if we aren't careful about developing an ongoing relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit that's real and that's personal, then over time we will resort to attempting to follow God by hard work, by white-knuckled discipline, and eventually legalism. And what we end up with is we end up with, we'll experience the practices of God, but not the power of God. And I believe that's where most of our churches are today. Jesus began his ministry with a deep experience of God's love that transforms the way we see our own identity. When we come to understand what it means for you and for me to be sons and daughters of God. Who are completely accepted and loved just as we are. Turn with me to Matthew 3. Matthew 3 verses 13 through 17. The scriptures say, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God used this passage of Scripture about 15 years ago to capture my heart. I was sitting in Starbucks. It was on a Sunday morning before uh, a Sunday gathering. I was sitting in the Starbucks over there on Ridgeway, Ridgeway and Poplar. And God used, I knew this passage of Scripture well. And God used this and he continues to remind me of his deep love for me through it. So I want to share with you a passage of Scripture that's been hugely meaningful to me. Of the deep love of God. Of, his accept, of how he's accepted me. How he has said, Brad, you are enough. And I want to share it with you because it's been meaningful to me in the past. And I need to continue to hear it today because I haven't learned this lesson yet. I grew up with a mom and dad who were, they were great parents. They invested in me. They loved me. They didn't just carry me to church, as we would say. Um, but they taught me the scriptures. Uh, I knew I memorized a lot of scripture from a young age. My mom stopped teaching college when I was born. And she stayed home with my older brother and I. And she, she invested in us. And school was a big deal uh, for us, like in most homes. And it came easy for my brother. It came really easy for him. And not so much for me. And over time, I developed 
a sense of finding identity in doing things the right way. Working hard, being responsible, highly responsible, and caring for the needs of others, and always having a plan. Did I mention working hard? No matter what it takes to get the job done. And I'll be honest, many of those characteristics have served me well. You can't, you can't plant churches and not be willing to work hard. I remember my buddy Mike and I uh, in Nashville, we visited 43 locations in person and heard 42 no's. We would joke around and we would give our, wait, your turn to give the pitch this time. Nope, your turn to hear no first this time. And we, we were looking for a place to meet. We heard 42 no's. We probably looked at 100 locations before someone said yes. And then we, John Overton High School in Nashville, we started, but the city manager tried to block us. He tried to scare the principal and said, you don't have the ability, you don't have the authority to let these folks meet in your building. We had to get the American Center for Law and Justice to write a threatening letter to the city manager, and he finally backed off. You don't get very far in church planning unless you are unwilling to hear the word no sometimes. Some of those things have served me well at times in the past. But listen to me. They've also left me wanting. Asking questions like, am I good enough? Did I do it right? Is it enough? And maybe most importantly, am I enough? And the answer is almost always no. There's never enough time. I rarely perform well enough to meet my own standards. And I can easily feel like God is just kind of finger wagging. Like, like his view toward me is just waiting for the next shoe to drop. When I'll mess up. And so when you look at me on the outside. I look like I'm doing a good job because I'm a hard worker. And I don't back down. Like, I'll get it done. But the truth of the matter is, I'm, I'm being fueled by shame and fear. And so on the outside, I look good, but on the inside, I'm a mess. But then comes Jesus. And Jesus shows up as John is preaching in this passage. And Jesus is around 30 years old. And listen, folks, I just want to remind you this. The Bible doesn't report a single thing that he accomplished in his life up to this point other than asking some questions in the temple when he was 12 and growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. <laughs> that drives me crazy, personally. <laughs> like, I don't see how he did it. What was the hardest thing that Jesus did? For me, it was doing nothing until 30 other than simply being obedient to all that God commanded him to do. And we don't know what those things are. But he was faithful. Seems that he was faithful to his mom. He was faithful to his family. We don't know what happened to his dad. He was faithful and obedient to all that God commanded him to do. Only doing, Scripture says, what he sees the Father doing. There's a lesson there for me. And his first cousin, John the Baptizer, is a super weird dude who lives in the wilderness and eats locusts and wild honey and he dresses in camel's hair and he's preaching a message of repentance and heralding the message of a coming Messiah, a rescuer who will save Israel. And Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And the question is why? Why does Jesus come to be baptized? Jesus wasn't a sinner. Baptism doesn't remove sin. 
But baptism is a commitment to follow Jesus. It's a confession to others that we're his sons and his daughters. And Jesus was baptized as the first step in his gospel ministry. And at the moment that Jesus was baptized, something amazing took place. He saw the Holy Spirit descend on him in visible manifestation. He heard the voice of his father declare, this is my Beloved son, this is my only son. This is the son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Why was God pleased? Jesus had accomplished nothing in the eyes of the world up to this point. Scripture seems to say he wasn't good looking. He wasn't a leader. He hadn't even called his disciples yet. He was simply obedient to all the father had called him to do. And because he continued to be obedient to all the Father's will, he even followed the ridiculous instructions from God to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. He went to the cross, the scriptures say, for the joy that was set before him. Because he trusted that the Father would use the pain of his suffering and the judgment that would be poured out on him to free you and me from our sins. And that's where my story comes in. Because one day back in 2005, God showed me that because of Jesus, God, my heavenly father, sees me just like he sees his son. And he loves me. He's pleased with me. And I am enough because of Jesus. And folks, that's called grace. That doesn't make any sense to me. It's one of the most common words in the Christian language Excuse me, it's one of the most common words in the Christian religion. It's one of the least understood words in the Christian life. Grace. What does it mean? I mean, the acronym helps us get to it a little bit, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. But what does it mean? And what does it mean for you and me today? Because grace is not a thing. At its simplest version, grace is Jesus. And we need Jesus daily. And I think that too often grace is something we look back to rather than something that propels us forward. I think that a lot of times when it comes to grace, if we're sailing on a boat, we think of grace kind of like the life preserver. But grace isn't just the life preserver. Grace is the sail on the boat that propels us forward. Grace is the boat itself. Grace is the fact that we've been saved from eternal separation from God. We've been given life and joy. Grace teaches us how to really live. Now here's the problem with grace, folks. You don't understand grace. You don't live by grace. And here's one of the problems in the South. You show up at a gathering week after week. And you hear somebody like me. Who has been trained in a seminary. Who's got a huge library. Who reads, who if I took the time I could memorize my sermon and it would sound even better. And you hear these sermons week after week after week. And you know what happens? You think that I know what I'm talking about. I don't. Because I can tell you what's going on in my head. But to know something is to experience it. And because you listen to these sermons week after week, 
And you hear pastors who very eloquently describe the gospel. They sound like they're fluent in the gospel. And you think you're fluent in the gospel. And you're not. Because you don't mean to convince you you're not? Replay the way you talk to your kids. You shame them all day long. You don't, you don't share the gospel with your kids. You, you spend 90% of your time telling them do's and don'ts and being a legalist. And telling them to do better and pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And I do the same. Why do we do that? Because we're not fluent in the gospel. Because we aren't living lives that are fueled by grace. I know that, that sounds harsh what I just shared. But the kind of lives that we're living, we're going to come to discover, because here's here's what's the problem with not living lives that are fueled by grace, is that we don't have any power. And power is not this mystical thing that you have to have some kind of uh, incredible experience with the Holy Spirit in order to, to have power. We're going to look at this maybe next week. I'm not sure yet, but the Spirit will show us. But really, it's just living in the justification that you've received from Jesus Christ. If you live by putting grace on the shelf and saying grace is like, um, it's like a bookend. And so I remember this moment in time where grace saved me. That's a bookend. And then I'm going to live my life. And God might show up. Like I might be like Moses, you know, spend 70 years, be on the backside of the desert. Maybe in some amazing moment God shows up in my life. That's kind of how we think of the Holy Spirit. He shows up in like the really big times when I'm really desperate. But if we live like grace is just a bookend, like, yeah, God showed me grace and he saved me. Oh, and then the judgment is coming and he's going to show me grace again. If we aren't fueled by grace, and I'm convinced if we are not fueled by grace in the everyday stuff of life, then we're not going to live by grace and we're not going to have any power. Jeff Schulte said this last February when he was with us. He said, I think I have a quote for you on the screen. He said, if my need... For God's grace is limited to my sin. There we go. If my need for God's grace is limited to my sin, then my need for Christ becomes less as I grow up into Him, and that's a problem. And I think most of us as Christians live our lives like God is just kind of... um, Like He is sanctifying us And we just think that as we kind of keep the rules a little better and fall into the same old rituals, that God is just kind of sanctifying us through osmosis, through those rituals. When God is saying, no, I want to be a presence in your life. Like, do we really believe that Jesus said, it is better that I would go away? Like the Holy Spirit is better than if Jesus were walking the earth right now, today. What if we really lived like that? What if we really leaned into the grace of Jesus Christ? What would it look like if you really believed that God loves you unconditionally because of Jesus? I hope some of you think that sounds impossible because then maybe we're like barely hinting at grace. That he sees you as his son and as his daughter. What would, you, what would your life look like? How would you live if you were in constant awareness 
that your Father loves you deeply and accepts you just as you are because of Jesus. My guess is that you would live with a deep sense of thankfulness and an ongoing devotion to Him that would bring about consistent change in your life. That would bring an intense and infinite joy. Listen, personal renewal is based out of a deep experience of God's love. And I'm convinced that God doesn't want those deep experiences of His love to be bookends in our life. But He wants to offer those to us daily. I want to invite the band to come up. We're going to do something different today. Um, They're going to sing a song over us. And as they sing, I just want to ask you the question, how do you need to experience God's deep love for you? How do you need to experience God's deep love for you? Where have you doubted His love? And where have you doubted that God is a good Father who loves you and is deeply pleased with you because of Jesus? Listen, I want us just to take some time and I'm, I'm going to pray for us. And just, you can want, look at the lyrics if you want. You can bow your heads. And ask the Spirit to speak to us. Father, thank you. Thank you that because of Jesus, God, we are deeply loved. God, because of Jesus, we are deeply forgiven. God, because of Jesus, we are loved and we are light. (laughs) And God, because of Jesus, I want to declare that I am enough. Because Jesus is enough. And so God, would you right now, through your Holy Spirit, who lives in each of us who have followed you, who have given our lives to you, God, would you speak to us loudly and clearly? God, I want to pray over those right now who are feeling like, You you don't speak that way. Who've given up on the Holy Spirit. Who've seen you as bookends in their life. God, surprise them by your Spirit. God, help us to hear from you now as you speak. In Jesus' name I pray.